and a uh, happy Hoshana Rabba, Rabbi Yisai. What a pleasure and a privilege it is for me to be here. I haven't had the choice to be back in in Osamef uh, since Tishibov, and uh, it's uh, certainly a tremendous uh, opportunity for me to be able to be here to speak to the Osamef. Um, Talmidim from all the various levels and programs and uh, to all the guests who come and join us on Hoshana Rabbah and uh, and I tell you I give a shir every other Motzi Shabbos in Harnof and um, the reason I give it every other Motzi Shabbos is because it's extremely difficult to come up with a Parsha shir every single year at least for me, right? I've always felt bad for those Talmudei Chachamim who already know everything. And it's just a question of which thing they're going to choose. Whereas to me, Torah is a constant adventure. I never know if I'm going to find out that what I'm talking about is completely wrong. as happened to me recently, where I said an entire beautiful Pshat Narashi that just came from a misreading. Baruch Hashem. And of course, it was in one of the most Choshva yeshivas in the world so that a Kodesh Baruch Hu wanted to keep me humble. So uh, so here, I, I get to do this Hoshana Rabbi gig every single year, which is something of a challenge, because that means I have to come up with a Sukkot slash Hoshana Rabbi shir every single year. And so it sits in the back of my mind, always thinking, what is there that I can say what is there new material? What is there new ground that I can break? And uh, I have been tempted on more than one occasion to just dig out one of my old shiurim, figuring, first of all, nobody really knows what I'm talking about anyway, <laughs> right? Second of all, it's in the middle of the night, so who's paying attention? And uh, I, I have found that neither one of those two excuses tend to work. I have a friend of mine, Ami Cohen, whose father is from David Cohen, a very famous Posek in America. And he says his father has just about every safer that's ever been made. So when it comes time for like a, you know, some kind of a simcha, they want to buy him a safer, what are they going to buy him? He's got everything already. So he came up with this great idea. They go down into the closet and find some old safer that he's for sure not looked at. He doesn't remember he's got it. Wrap it up and give it to him again. <laughs> they found some obscure safer somewhere in the basement. Right, wrapped it up, wrote it, and says, oh, look what we got you. He looks at it, and he says, oh, Baruch Hashem, I'm so excited. And they're like, <clears throat> you know, he's like, I've got a copy of this, but it's missing three pages. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be my luck, you know what I'm um, And as far as the fact that it's the middle of the night, so I used to teach in another yeshiva, where we used to give shir at 11.30 in the morning. And I found that my shir was never at their best and their brightest. I didn't know this. I just thought they were dumb. But evidently, they just weren't at their best and their brightest. And we had shir on Shavuos night slash morning at 1.30 in the morning. And these guys were geniuses. They followed everything. They were. I realized I was just giving shir at the wrong time of day. And the later I went, the better it was for them. If I would have given sure at 4 o'clock in the morning, boy, forget about it. These guys would have smicha by now, you know what I mean? The problem is I gave it in the morning, which was an unreasonable time for people to have to pay attention. So the fact that it's getting late here is really not going to help us too much. 
So I spend the whole year trying to come up with something new, something that's that's um, new material, new territory that hasn't necessarily been examined before. And um, there's a problem when you do that. The problem is that you're assuming the reason that you're trying to find an answer to a question that no one has ever asked, there's probably a reason that nobody has ever asked it, right? I'll give you one example. This, this, you know, it still, it still rattles in the back of my mind. This was my, my worst failure because usually if you give a um, mundane enough topic, so you can talk about anything you want. If you change the topic, nobody will ever know the difference, you know? Um, uh, I, Rabbi Tatz was going to be speaking someplace, and um, I looked at the title. I said, well, uh, you know, what does this title mean? He says, I have no idea. I made up years ago 30 titles, and I send them out to people, and people say, what are they about? And he says, I'll talk about whatever I want. Just pick whatever title you like. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nothing to do with it. So you take a title like Sukkis and You. You know what I mean? You're pretty safe. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can talk about almost anything you want, you know? But if you lock yourself in, right? So who's Parshas Mikates? I'll never forget this. I still am traumatized by this, you know? And... Uh, you know, when I teach an oil go live, you know, so they, they say, we don't like hearing so much about all of your clever answers and good advice. We love hearing about your failures. Because when you fail, so then it says to us, oh, okay, you failed, we'll fail, everyone will do well. And as then, Baruch Hashem. So, uh, so this was one time I took a topic. It says that, Raj, it says Yaakov sent to Yosef as a gift, and it lists what he sent them. And he sent them wax, they sent them almonds, and he sent them Botanim, which Rashi says are pistachios. And it's the only place in the whole Torah where this word appears. It's pistachios. Why is pistachios something that Israel is sung about? That was the title of the Shir. <laughs> pistachios, the perfect gift idea. <laughs> and I, to this day, have no idea why. I don't know. I walked into the Shir and I had no Shir to give. So I talked about something else. It was, but, but it was so obvious that I had just picked the topic and I didn't find the answer. This past year, I took a topic that was just so incredibly difficult. I don't know why. I was preparing it. I couldn't make heads or tails of it. And I have a friend of mine who's a McCubble, you know. I, I like to hang out with all kinds of people, you know. Whenever I see him, he says, you're fine. How am I? You know what I mean? Like, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so I said, oh, I just prepared this uh, topic. It was so difficult. I told him what it was. He says, what? Nobody talks about that. That's the hardest sugi in the entire Torah. Why in the world would you pick that? Because I didn't know any better. So, uh, so this year, this is a, a long and somewhat boring introduction to the fact that the topic I took for this year, I couldn't find an answer to. So we're just going to sing now for the rest of the time. <laughs> Something we did do here some years ago, we sang a sukkah Kleina. If anyone remembers all the way back, you know, we like to do a little sukkah singing. But, uh, but I will tell you what I tried to do. And... Uh, you know, maybe you'll you'll appreciate it, maybe you won't. At least you'll see what was bothering me. This is, if you say the little you hear at sound paragraph, um, when you uh, shake your lulav. Yeah? So we say, should be your will, that as we take these various things, right? The pre hada, fruit of a goodly tree, kapos tamarim, the bound uh, date palm, Anaf Eitz Avos, the woven uh, uh, 
of Myrtle, the Arve Nachal, and the River Willow. Osios Shimcha Hamayuchad. Tikarav Echad El Echad Vahayu Achodim Biyadi. The letters of your name should join together and become one in my hand. What is that referring to? Obviously, the name of Hashem that we do not pronounce, which is usually written in English as the tetragram or something like that. Tetragram. Tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton. I thought it was like aliens who came in. <laughs> oh no, the tetragrammatons! <laughs> uh, those of you who remember when I used to teach Parsha here, tetragrammaton is one of those words that uh, belongs in what we are slowly developing called the Art Scroll Dictionary. These are words that do not exist in English, only in Art Scroll land. Behold is one of those words. I have never met anyone who says, Rilovsky, behold. I has cometh. Hast thou? Yes, I have. You should do something about that list, kid. You know, you know? Uh, you know a whole bunch of words. Vessels, one of my favorite. When you have to translate Caleb, they translate it as vessels. Vessels are ships that go in the ocean. <laughs> Nobody in the kitchen when they want a spoon said, can you give me a vessel? Well, where do you keep the vessels? Nobody uses that word, but there's no word for kalim, because kalim, the best English translation is stuff. <laughs> but they can't write stuff, so they write, you know. That's why one of the reasons that uh, Masil Shisharm is one of the most difficult books to be able to get a hold on, because if you have the old English translation, you have words in there like watchfulness and zeal. You have the new English translation, you have words there like vigilance and alacrity. Words that nobody uses in real life. The last time I heard anyone use vigilance, it was Mad-Eye Moody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> nobody says these things. I don't care. I entertain myself. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's late at night. So, uh, so the... Uh, the point is that, you know, these are, these are words that are difficult for us. So the Tetragrammaton, <coughs> which, of course, are the four letters of Hashem name that we cannot pronounce, made up of the letters Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, usually referred to as Shem Havaya. Yeah? Shem Havaya. So, um, yeah, we don't pronounce it in order, right? Shem Yud K Vav K, they sometimes say. Yud K Vav K. Instead of saying the Hey, they say K. Yud K Vav K, right? Somebody put out years ago a list of obscure hashkochas that nobody even knows exists. You know, in California, the rabbinical organization has one called I'm okay, you're okay. <laughs> There's one out there. Um, the American Comedian Society put out one called the Danny K. You know what I'm saying? Which is too old a joke. I don't know why I'm wasting my time with this crowd. But anyway, but. Uh, they came out with one HaKadosh Baruch who started giving a Hashkoch. It's called the Yud K Vav K. And uh, so far it's only on Mun. But uh, <laughs> not that anybody would trust it. You understand? That's why they say that when Mashiach comes, which is supposed to be on Sukkot, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to kill Levyosan, the giant fish creature, and out of its skin make a giant sukkah, and then he's going to feed it to the Tzadikim, all of the righteous who have ever lived. And the question is, why is he feeding him Levyosan? Why is he feeding them this fish? Because everyone is going to be gathered together, reach the side that we ever lived, 
and they're going to say, what would you like, the meat or the fish? And they say, well, who's giving the hashgacha? God, I have the fish. <laughs> Another obscure joke that I'm wasting on this one. <laughs> I don't really care. Anyway, so uh, so the four letters of Hashem's name that we don't pronounce, the yud and the hey and the vav and the hey, correspond on some level when we hold it in our hand to the esrik, the lulav, the hadasim, and the aravos. The question is, what corresponds to what and why? Now, I've asked this question several times. I'm always amazed. Everyone says to me, well, the lulav is a vav. I said, why? Well, it looks like a vav. Does anything look like a hey? <laughs> why in the world are you assuming that? You know what I mean? It just, you know, it sounds good, you know? Looks like a vav, you know? I don't know that the shapes are necessarily the one that's the determining factor here. I don't know what is the determining factor here. I'm sure I am stumbling off into Kabbalistic netherworld where I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm going to get involved in all kinds of concepts that are going to be very, very difficult and painful. So I uh, looked around and found absolutely nobody who talks about this. So... <laughs> Luckily, there's no title to the sure. If anybody would like to give a title to it, it's called Sukkis and You. <laughs> Just so you should know. So, uh, what do we talk about then? Well, you know, there is another association that the four um, <coughs> species, it's another art school word, yeah, the four minim, the four types of things that we take, also have another correspondence. What is the other correspondence that it has? <coughs> you should know about this. You must have taken a correspondence course. <laughs> I don't care. I told you I don't care. I'm not doing this for you. Yes. Types of Jews. Right? We'll take types of Jews. Yeah? The Esrog. Yeah? What is Jews who have Torah learning and mitzvah observance. Lulav, yeah? What are Jews that have Torah learning and not, but don't have good deeds, right? Because the lulav has a taste but doesn't have a smell. I can't tell you how many people have gotten stuck on this because they say, I don't know, I tasted the lulav and it doesn't taste like anything. It's a date palm, dummy. <laughs> doesn't mean you eat the branch. It means the dates that grow on it don't have a smell, but they do have a taste. Yeah? The Hadassim, the Murdo, have a smell but no taste. This represents Jews who do good deeds but don't learn Torah. And the Arava, the Willow, has neither a good taste nor a good smell, and so it represents Jews who have neither of these two attributes. That is an association we make. There's another association we make with uh, four minim. Parts of the body, right? The, uh, the lulav corresponds to the spine. The esrog corresponds to the heart. I guess there it actually looks like it, right? It's, it looks like a spine, you know? And it looks like a, well, it doesn't look exactly like a heart, but neither does this, right? But well, we call that a heart, yeah? So it's supposed to be like a heart. It's sort of oval and you know small and goes in your chest. Yeah. So it's a lulav. The um, hadasim are supposed to be eyes. 
They're supposed to be eyes, little eyes. They're small. And uh, and the arabos are supposed to be your mouth. Now, why these four body parts, I think, are an important question, and one that I'm not going to go into this year. I'm filing it away. And uh, I had a different question that came up when I realized there was no way I could associate this with the tetragrammatons. And that is, is there an overlap between these two midrashim? Is there a correspondence to the body parts and the types of Jews? The answer is no. So, <laughs> I can't say. It could be there is. But I decided to come up with an association. So I'll go, I'll go easy, right? <clears throat> the heart, right, is the source of life. Yeah? Meaning, if your spine is fractured, you can still live. You can lose your ability to speak. You can lose your ability to see. But you lose your heart, you're really finished. Yeah? Hence the famous Chazal, you got to have heart, right? Because the heart, it represents life itself. When your heart stops beating, that's it. For the most part, you're going to be dead, right? You could argue the brain as well, but the brain, we're not talking about the brain right now. The brain is above and beyond, you know? But you'd be dead without your brain as well. Fascinating conversation. You know, they have these transcripts from various uh, court cases. And this lawyer was, um, was uh, you know, cross-examining... Um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the guy with the dead bodies, um, the, the coroner, thank you very much, coroner, I know it sounded like a beer, yeah, so he was, he was examining the coroner, and he says, you claim that the victim was dead, so that's correct, did you check for a pulse, no sir, did you check for a heartbeat, no sir, did you do any testing on him, no sir, then how did you know that he was dead? Well, his brain was in a jar on my desk. <laughs> and does that mean that he's dead? He says, I don't know, maybe he's practicing law someplace. One <laughs> 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 of those golden moments that you live for. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so you'd be dead without your, you know, your brain. But if your heart is gone too, you're dead. That means that we're talking about people who are learning Torah, people who are doing mitzvot. That is the traditional definition of the tzaddik. This is a person who's got it all. He is the life of the Jewish people. He's what keeps the Jewish people going. He's a person whose entire life is dedicated to it. Okay? So, what about the people who are learning Torah? What has learning Torah got to do with your spine? Now, here's a, here's a suggestion. There's a bracha that we make in the morning that is um, ripped out of this sitter. <laughs> and we'd like to thank the reform movement for donating this sitter. <laughs> you know it's a reform sitter, because instead of it says, to whom it may concern. <laughs> I don't care. I don't have to be politically correct. Fire me! <laughs> then they'd have to pay me my back money. Anyway, we call that job security. Luckily, we make the same Baruch Shabbos morning, and that's still here. 
This bracha is relating to learning Torah. The same Libanu put into our hearts. The Havid Allah Haskel, the Shmuel Alumar, the Lamed, the Lishmuel Lazar, the Kaim is called the Vray. Tamil Torah Sechem Yabba. The Hay Nenu Besoy Sechem. The Dabik Libanu Besoy Sechem. Right, light up our eyes with Torah. Yachal Nenu Yabba Yishvach. The Lamed Yishvach. The Kim Shem Yishvach. The Lamed Yishvach. The Yenu Shul Be'Abak. The Aretz. Bring us from the four corners of the world. The Solichenu. Listen to this. The Solichenu. Come immediately. I'd say no. Bring us standing upright to our land. Why is the bracha of learning Torah talking about us coming upright? <coughs> One of the things that's considered unique to a human being is the ability to stand upright. Um, most other creatures lean forward. You know, knuckles dragging on the ground, you know, or something like that. They don't have what's called a upright um, approach, yeah, a posture, right there. It's something that's somewhat unique to the human experience. And when a person learns Torah, it's the thing that makes us a human being. It's the thing that allows us to be able to move outside of being part of the animal kingdom and move into a spiritual realm. That's what learning Torah does for us. Now, there's a lot more to say on this, but I'm, I'm, I want to move along. The eyes, the Hadas would correspond to the eyes, correspond to the Jews who do good deeds. Why is that exactly? Why good deeds? Now, I'm going to give you a different question. I'm going to give you the question. The Arevos correspond to the mouth. How many Arevos do we put in? Two. two. Why? If it corresponds to the mouth. Two, two. two lips. If you have two mouths, I would see a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I could develop this thought, but I'm not going to. Anyway. <laughs> two lips. Two sets of teeth. Yeah? Is a uh, parts of the mouth. But put that aside for a second. How many eyes do most people have? Two. Excellent. Why do we have three hadasim if they correspond to the eyes? So you can say, okay, I'm being technical. That's true. But come on, assuming that all this stuff fits together, it should fit together nicely. Why are there three eyes? Well, a friend of mine brought me this unbelievable uh, safer called Shemin Hatov, um, and it's a collection of thoughts on the Moedim <coughs> by, I don't remember his name, but he was the rabbi of the Young Israel of Brooklyn, and it's just <coughs> such beautiful ideas. He brought it to me, he says, I want, I know you would appreciate this sort of thing. He asked this question, and he gives the following answer. It could be that the Hadassim are not corresponding per se to the eyes, as much as the ability to see. And when you see, there's something important that you need to see. And that's the Mishnah in Pirkeyavos that says, beginning the third parak, Akavya ben Ma'alau Aymer, Histakel, look, Bishlosh Dvarim, at three things, the Anatobolyadeya Veira. 
and you will never come to sin. Look at three things. Da me'ayin bosa, look from where you came. Uli'ana toholeich, and where you are walking to. And before whom you need in the future to give a judgment. Where'd you come from? A future drop. Where are you going? To a place of dust and worms and uh, and other types of worms. Yeah? And before whom will you give a judgment? Before Melech, Baruch, the King of King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. So what is a copy of Ben Mahalal telling me? If he says you never want to sin, look where you came from, look where you are, and look where you're going to be in the future. Past, present, and future. It's fascinating. This Rosh Hashanah, I thought of a question during davening, and my son-in-law asked it at the table, at the Suda. Absolutely amazing. He said, it just occurred to me, and it just occurred to me too. Fascinating. There's a there's a piet, a poem that we say. Hashem Alech, Hashem Alech, Hashem Yimlach, Leolam Vahed. Yeah? God is king, God was king, God will be king. And then there are three stanzas. The first stanza is sung by the angels. God is king. The second stanza is sung by people. God was king. And both of them together sing, God will be king. So he asked, how come, it was my question too, how come the angels sing present tense and the people sing past tense? That's a question, interesting question. So he wanted to give the following answer. He wanted to say, because um, angels see see that Hashem is king, and there's no question about it, and they understand everything as it's taking place. Whereas people only appreciate God's kingship after it's over, when they look back, so to speak, as Moshe says to Kodesh Baruch I want to see your front. And God says, you can't see my front, but you can see my back. What does that mean? It means you won't understand things as they're happening, but once they're over, when you look back, then you appreciate them. So we appreciate Kodesh Baruch through perspective. They appreciate it through present tense. I had a different answer. Angels only exist in the present tense. They can't exist in the past. Angels only exist as long as the mission that they have to fulfill, and once they fulfill their mission, they cease to exist. There's no such a concept of past tense to an angel. There's only the present tense. He can understand that we're going someplace into the future. But as far as the past, what's the past? He doesn't have a past. He only has a present. Whereas we have an appreciation of the past to the present. To take it a step further, our past is part of our present. You know this, right? You can experience something now that you experienced years ago. If you ever did something incredibly stupid and embarrassing, even if you were a small child and the whole class laughed at you, right? And now you, you know, after years of therapy, you know, 
you've gotten over it. You had a small period of time when you used to wear a hockey mask and walk around with a big knife, but that's over now. <laughs> All of that's behind us. That's we're fine now, you know. But if you suddenly you meet somebody for that class, say, hey, remember the time that you ah! you're right there. The past is your present. You can feel it right now. <laughs> Parenthetically, that's the whole key to chuva. The key to chuva is. I did something in the past, and that represents a character flaw that I need to correct. When I remember the things that I did wrong, the reason that's an essential part of tshuva is because I am today who I am because of my past actions. I have to be able to not go back in the past and fix it. I have to fix it in the present because it's part of me. It's a, it's a, it's, it, it lives within me. For better or for worse, right? So I have I have that as part of my of my personality. In the present, the past is part of my present. So when I'm looking, and that's how I make decisions in life is looking. I look to where I'm going. When I look, there are three hadasim. I have to be able to look behind where I came from. I have to look where I'm going, and I have to look where I am. And there's a perspective. When it comes to doing good deeds, when it comes to doing good deeds, there's only one way to be able to do actions properly. That's to look into the past to get a perspective and to look into the future where I'm going. And then I'll be able to decide what to do. Or as the Chazal say, (coughs) yeah? Um, Take a look at what you lose by doing a mitzvah versus what you gain. And take a look at what you gain by doing an avera versus what you lose. Very often, the only way to do that is to look in the past. I made some bad decisions. Look at where I am today based on some of those decisions, good or bad. When you look back at your life, the things that you probably are most proud of are not the bad things you've done. Right? They may be things that I may not be able to shake off. They may be images that I, I can't get rid of. You know, I had a student once who had done so many drugs that even though he was clean for years, every now and then he'd get a flashback. And it was like, you know, he, he'd have that whole experience all over again. So when he made decisions now, he made the decision based obviously on, on looking back and looking ahead. That's the way we have to make a perspective. So we see how, on some level, on each one of these is a shear unto itself, and perhaps it will be. Not now, but perhaps one day it will be. We see a relation between a heart and the people who keep all the mitzvahs. We see a relation between the spine and the people who learn Torah. We see a relation between the eyes and the people who do good deeds. What about the mouth and people who have nothing? That's pretty easy, because most people who talk have nothing to talk about. And it doesn't even slow them down. You know what I mean? Not in the least. Uh, Somebody pointed out that Tafshin Samech Tes, which is this year, is the gematria of Eliyahu HaNavi. No, excuse me, Eliyahu HaTishni. Elijah the prophet in numerical value is this year. And so it was a thousand years ago and a thousand years before that. Because 
Tav Shin Samach Tes is really not 5,769. It's 769. And we just leave off the 5 or the 4 or the 3 or the 2 or the 1. Well, 1 doesn't really count because he wasn't around then, but you get the idea. Yeah. But I, I'm not saying no. I will just tell you what I heard from somebody big years ago, and that is those who know don't talk, and those who talk don't know. So, although there's a lot of people saying various signs that Mashiach is going to come this year, and I hope he does, because I'm running my finances on that assumption. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's not going to be because Tavshin Samachtes has the numerical value of Elio Atishbi, in my opinion. So, uh, but I think there's a different association. I'm going to put that aside for a moment, because it has bearing on tomorrow particularly. I want to I want to go to a uh, to a slightly different idea. And that's the following. And a lot of these things are going to start to fit together. The Arizal says that there is a minad, and you may have seen this, right? A lot of people are knowing this, that before davening, assuming they daven in a shul, or a base measure, they first go to the sukkah, and they make the bracha on their dalad minim, and they shake it in the different directions in the sukkah first. Anyone ever seen this? Right? If you dive in the sukkah, then it's, you know, it's a somewhat moot point. But assuming that you dive in a shul, then you go to the shul. You see people go to the sukkah. That's what Rizal says. Why? Because these two mitzvahs should be linked. Now, why should they both be linked? Okay, so they both come out at the same time. Very good. Yeah? But you don't have to necessarily light your Hanukkah menorah with your latkes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Although there's certainly more than enough oil in them. Yeah? But that's there's not an idea to that, right? What's the association that we put these two things together? So, there's a number of associations, right? What does the sukkah represent? Obviously, the relationship between us and God. God does to go into the sukkah, we go into the sukkah. The schach is like the divine presence over our head. We leave our houses, we go out into God's world. <coughs> what do the what do the four species represent? The Dalit Minim? All the different types of Jews all coming together. If you will, one is mitzvahs ben Odom Lechavero, and one is mitzvahs ben Odom between God and people and between people and people and we unite the two just like the two luchos come together the two tablets have those two ideas we bring together sukkah and the dalmin one idea another idea is that obviously the dalmin represent this world they represent different parts of the harvest and different things that we're taking together and the sukkah definitely represents olam haba you're living out of a you're in this world but not in this world you're in a building without a roof, right? You're living in a different existence. So we're taking this world, the next world, and putting it together. I want to take a different approach. And uh, I want to link together a couple of different things. The relationship between the sukkah and the Dalad Minim, on one level, you could make as the relationship between Talas and Tfilin. How is the Sukkah 
like a talus. You wrap yourself in it. You wrap yourself in it and surround yourself with it. Right, that's a pretty easy one. <coughs> How is the Dalad Minim like tefillin? Well, tefillin you put on your head and the lulav you hit on the head of the guy in front of you, right? That's one obvious approach. But uh, you tie the tefillin on, you tie up the... Right? Got another one? What? It's an os. It's a sign. The tefillin have four partios, and there's four different types of things that we take together. Yeah, but you also need a top, and preferably a bottom. So let's say you took a suspended sukkah, it wouldn't be kosher. So you need six. Nice try. Yeah. Well, wow, that's a good one. Phew. He's saying that just like the tefillin has to go on your arm pointing towards your heart, so you have to hold them in your hand like by your heart. That, theoretically, you could hold them out over here, right? But after a while, you're going to get strained. So. Get support. Tomorrow, there's going to be a lot of, you know, lulav action. So you should learn the best way to do it. Right? Years ago, we spoke about the minog of you know, if you have one of those big arch called leaning it on the head of the guy in front of you. That's why you should always get behind someone who's shorter than you. That's uh, the way it's ordered. I heard something from this side. And it was a request for drinks. Anyway, okay. So, um, there's another idea. And this idea corresponds to all four of these things. Obviously, the sukkah is there to protect us from external forces, right? The sukkah corresponds to the naniya cover, the clouds of glory that surrounded us in the desert. What did the clouds of glory do? They kept out people who wanted to hurt us. If they shot arrows at us or big stones, they got stuck in the cloud. The cloud protected us and took care of us. It was a tremendous kindness. The only downside was that every day it was cloudy. <laughs> anyway, but um, <laughs> but uh, the clouds were always there. The clouds were there. They protected you from the outside. What did Dalad mean him? The Dalad mean him are there to do battle against enemies. Not because it looks like a rifle and a hand grenade. <laughs> That's why they finally got them without a pit them. You know, they grew them without a pit them because people used to go... <laughs> <laughs> you know, people thought that, that, that little thing here is like... <laughs> you know? <laughs> get your Lula rifle, get those, uh, you know, sharpened uh, round matzahs, you know. <laughs> Get the little guards, you know. <laughs> yep, someone's been watching Batman 2 too much. In any event. But you get the idea. <laughs> yeah? The idea is that one is external and one is, right? So why is it to do battle? Well, it's a famous magic. The magic says that we go in 
to battle against the nations of the world to find out which of us will come out guilty before God on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. How do you know who was victorious? How do you know who was Menatseach, who won? The one who comes out carrying the scepter and the orb of the king. In the good old days, kings had a scepter and they had this round thing which was called an orb and add that to our art school dictionary. (laughs) But that was the uh, Lulav and the Esrit. The king gave us his things to as a sign of victory. We overcame. But there's another aspect to it. <clears throat> and that is, the sukkah is clearly an external protection. The dalad minim is internal. It is so internal that it represents parts of our internal body. It's something that's inside, which means there's two different types of an orb <coughs> that protects us. There's an outer light that can protect us. Whenever you do a mitzvah, the Nefesh HaChayim explains, you are surrounded with this light that protects you. And then there's this light that goes inside of you. That's a different type of a light. And talus and tefillin represent those two different ones. The talus goes around you to protect you, and the tefillin goes on you. By the way, it's not supposed to be exposed. We, we tend to, but, you know, Either it's covered up by your sleeve, or, you know, people put something, you know, if they would have some sort of a habit, they put it over their tefillin. There's a famous story with the Vumigayan, where when he was in prison, and these people were taunting him, you know, so he says, you know, you better stop, or I'm going to uncover my tefillin. They were like, ooh, can I uncover his tefillin, you know what I mean? Ooh, now I'm shaking, and he's like, okay, you know, and he uncovers his tefillin, and they just were ran in terror. The, the, the tefillin is this inner power which we conceal but which has the power to frighten off our enemies interestingly enough somebody came to the briskarov the briskarov looked at him and says you didn't put on tefillin today the guy was like hamana 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 you know he says how did you know he says because I'm not afraid of you I always feel afraid of a Jew who put on tefillin it gives you this inner protection the tefillin, the talus gives you this outer protection. Tefillin gives you this inner protection. That's the power of the sukkah. The sukkah obviously surrounds us and protects us, gives us that outer light. And the and the tefillin, oh, I should say the daladminim, take the place of the tefillin and gives us the inner light. Hence, you don't wear tefillin on Shabbos, you don't use the Dalit Minim on Shabbos. But you can use the sukkah, just like you wear a talus. Right? Those of you who are looking to get married, you should know, of course, that your wife's role is there to protect you. Right? From all the evil forces that surround us, like the internet. You understand? And that's why when you get married, the wife walks around you seven times. Like tomorrow we're going to watch around seven times. Walks around you seven times to be able to... It's not because like the walls of Jericho and she's waiting for you to collapse. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's why the mother-in-law walks around. <laughs> but, the, but the wife walks around seven times because she's giving you her protection. And that's why the wife buys you the palace. But the minute is, she doesn't buy your tefillin. 
Why? Probably because you got them at your bar mitzvah. But, assuming you are of the Rabbeinu Tom persuasion, so the people who start putting on their Rabbeinu Tom tefillin, they don't start putting them on until they're married. But the wife doesn't buy the tefillin. The guy buys the tefillin for himself. Because the external, the wife is providing, but the internal, you got to do yourself. That inner a light that you have to be able to shine out and that's represented by those things which brings us to a fascinating thing which is the gematria of sukkah is with the vav elio atishbi no i'm just kidding yeah 91 91 interestingly enough the rashi tables of the word say go out right go out of your house into the sukkah say but 91 has another significance of course to those of us, our main. Thank you very much. Yeah, what else? It's the numerical combination of the name of Hashem, the Tetragrammaton, Yud K Vav K, which equals 26, and the name of Hashem, which we normally pronounce as Adoshem, but of course is spelled with an Aleph and a Dalit and a Nun and a Yud. And if you add up those two, it comes to 91. Whoa, interesting. Now you see what the Arizal is saying? Take the Dalad Minim, which represent the name of Hashem of the Yud Kevavke, as we say in the Lil Yehirat zone, before we shake our Lulav, and bring it inside of the Sukkah when you use it, because that represents the name of Hashem of the Adoshem. Okay, what in the world are we talking about over here, right? Okay. You write in the Torah the name of Hashem. Yud and a hey and above and a hey. If you write Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud in your Sefer Torah, it is not kosher. You have to write Yud and a hey and above and a hey. But if you say it, oi vavoy, you're in serious trouble. I don't care if you're a witness or not. You're not allowed to say that name of God, right? We never pronounce it. Whenever we pronounce it, we pronounce it Adoshem, which means the external name of God is Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud. That's the Sukkah. But the internal name of Hashem is Yud, Ke, Vav, Ke. Why is that? Because Kodesh Baruch Hu, in his essence, is very hard for us to understand. We can understand an external expression. You say this three times a day in davening. Ato kadosh v'shimcha kadosh. You are holy and your name is holy. Okay, so what's the difference? You are holy in your essence, which I cannot relate to, but you express yourself through your name and your name is also holy. <coughs> and as the real name of Hashem, I can't say anyway. Even that I can't say. That represents an internal holiness. That represents an internal light. I can't say that. I could say Adoshem. That Hashem is master, that Hashem runs everything. That I can say. But the internal one, I can't express. The Dalad Minim are those four letters of Hashem's name, Yud Ke Vav Ke. Yeah? The Sukkah represents the fact that Hashem controls everything. Right? as is brought down in the Achronim. Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. Up, up, down, down, right, left, and all around. That's the Sukkah. 
That's what Hashem is. Yeah? He's all over the place. That's Ad Hashem. He surrounds us on all sides. But that internal power of Hashem that I can't say, that's the Dalit Minim. That's we put it together. And so, we take the Dalit Minim and we bring it in. By the way, we don't bring it in on Shabbos. We don't use it on Shabbos. Because anyway, you get a special light on Shabbos. The inner light you get on Shabbos. That's why on Yontif we have a din of Simcha. Right? It is now Hoshana Rabbanite. You, know, you should have that song coming out of your ears. They need to write another song. They just need to. And Harachmanu Yagamanu Sukhis Avan and Falas is not going to do it. That makes you pine for Yes, indeed. Somebody should write another tune to those two songs. I, uh, I appoint anybody who would like to. Uh, something that's not as incredibly annoying. <laughs> I, just to me, it's only me, I can't tell you. It may not be the song, it may just be the amount of times the song is sung, you know? But um, it's like uh, by the end of Sheva Brachas, nobody, no Chas and Kala want to hear again. <laughs> Every time they open a closet, two people come out. <laughs> Two of them are bleary-eyed. They're all nauseous from eating varekas and parva ice cream every night. You know what I mean? Schlepping around. The husband, the whole time, is uh, fighting with his wife because she keeps putting on her shaito over and over again. Is it on right? Is it not on right? You know, is it on backwards? I don't even know anymore. You know what I mean? And just going there to have parties and have to pretend that I like these people. <laughs> Which is hard because it's usually family. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. Anyway... But uh, <laughs> I have to edit that out, I think. <laughs> Don't want to give people the wrong impression. But anyway, you know, Yantiv is a din of Simcha. Simcha is an external expression. There is no din of Simcha on Shabbos. On Shabbos is the din of Oneg. Oneg, Shabbos, that's something that's more internal. That's, that's something that's, that's inside of me. It's uh, fascinating. And the Sosi Sharm goes through all these amazing levels that a person has to accomplish in order to reach this tremendous level of Kedusha. <coughs> this Anigal Hashem. Right? It's a tremendous level. It says, if you guys can share, or you can just wait to Shabbos, because you have it every single Shabbos. Every single Shabbos you have that Kedusha. Every single Shabbos you have that Lehis Aneg. You always have Onig Shabbos. That power always exists. Unbelievable concept. One of the highest levels. So we don't use the Dalit Minim because we have that light already in Shabbos, right? So tomorrow, we're going to march around. We're going to march around seven times. Why we march around seven times, we've talked about in years past. With our Dalit Minim. And then at the end, we're going to put down our Dalit Minim and pick up our bundle of willows. And we are going to say a whole lot of prayers. Now, normally, 
you know, you open up your little sitter, and every day when we have Hoshanas, you have one little paragraph of Hoshanas you say, you walk around, you do your little Hoshanas, you know, and you're done. One paragraph. We have a whole bunch of paragraphs. We're going to march around seven times and say seven paragraphs. Then there's more stuff we're going to say. There's pages and pages we're going to say. And usually, there's no way to keep up with the people who are saying it. You understand? And if you do go to one where you can keep up with the people, you want to kill yourself. So it's like it's, always, it's a trade-off. You know what I mean? But it goes on and on and on and on. And finally, if you can take this all out, you reach the crescendo. When you take your five willows, bend down and go, whop, 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 whop. And then we're done. Oh, Hashem. <laughs> I mean, we have to have Musa and stuff, too. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, but as far as the, you know, willow, and when you take your, you know, your lulav and you toss it up on top of the uh, Aram Kodesh, and, uh, you, know, you know, we're done. We're done with the Dalit Minim part of our program. Uh, we end with the joyous whopping of the willow. You understand? So, uh, ask the Svasemis. Why are we whopping willows? <laughs> willows, as we know, represent the Jews who don't have any mitzvos and don't have any Torah learning. That seems like a pretty depressing way to end this holiday season. Or to put it better, right? We go into Rosh Hashanah and we blow shofar and we lift <laughs> ourselves up to unbelievable heights. And then we keep growing for 10 days till we reach Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, we're on the level of angels. We don't eat. We don't drink. We're dressed in white. We stand. We're doing all these angelic kind of stuff. And when that finishes, we have four days where the Chazal say, we don't have a chance to sin. We're so busy doing mitzvahs, I wouldn't even have a chance to sin. Someone says to me, what is it? I can't sin. I'm buying my Dalit Minim, and I'm, and I'm getting ready for your Yantav, and i got so much to do. I wish, I wish I had time to sin. I can't. I'm so busy doing mitzvahs. And then we go into Sukkot, and Sukkot is this joyous time of celebration. We're marching around with all the Dalit Minim. We're going to Sukkot. But we're singing, we're dancing. People didn't sleep at the time of the base of Mikdash. They kept going all day, all night. It was party, 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 party. At the end of this, we now march around seven times to be able to beseech God on the Shadarabba on the final day of judgment. And then we pick up the willows and say, We have nothing. Oh man, what a bummer. <laughs> nothing. We're just a willow. We have no mitzvos, we have no Torah learning. We're going to whop ourselves on the floor. Whop, whop, whop. Says this Fasemis. Because the willows represent the mouth. Uh, you thought I forgot that little piece, didn't you? <coughs> no, I didn't. The willow represents the mouth. What do you do if you're a Jew who has no Torah learning and has no good deeds? The only thing you have left is tefillah. The only thing you have left is the words that you pray. And that's why we pray so much on Oshana Rabbah. That's why there's so many prayers that we say, because we understand that every Jew, no matter how great they may be, can always fall back on their power of prayer. And so, as you know, during the circus holiday, we invite in guests. Yeah? And then every day we have a guest. 
and we bring in Abraham, we bring in Yitzchak, we bring in Yaakov. McCain didn't show up. Okay. Now we brought in uh, uh, Moshe and Aaron. That's a political joke. It's current. It was David Letterman. No one knows what I'm talking about. Gosh, they should let you guys out once in a while. Anyway, anyone ever hear of America? You know, there's an election going on. Anyway, all right, forget about it. We'll edit that out. Anyway, so, um, and the last day is who? Hoshana Rabbah is David Amalek. The one who wrote all the Tehillim, the one who wrote all of our Tefillahs, the one who says, Va'ani Tefillah Si, I am my Tefillah. The one who takes all of the Tefillah and makes it not something that we say, but it makes us who we are. We are the mouth. We are the mouth that prays. We are the mouth that calls out to Hashem. We are the ones who bring that together. So we have our Dalad Minim. And we finish up tomorrow morning, and we take all of the power. And you know, things increase. Things increase, as we know. We pass them like Basilo. First day you light one candle, then two candles, and three candles, four, five, six, seven, eight. <coughs> and of course, we see every day we march around once. Tomorrow we're going to march around seven times. But it means all of the power of Sukkot. All of the power of the revealed power of spiritual light and the internal spiritual light. All of this is coming together in its most intense expression tonight and tomorrow. That's the final day of judgment. Then we finally bring it all together. And we always know, Hakol Kol Yaakov, we have the voice of the Jew. We have the prayer of the Jew that can always cry out, that always has the ability to be able to speak. Maybe we don't stand up right. Maybe we don't see things the right way. Maybe our heart is not complete. But we always, the lowest Jew, has the power of prayer. How many times I've seen it myself in a hospital waiting room during an operation. Jews who, if you were to go over to them at any other time, would say, I'm not religious, I don't believe in this, I'm an atheist, sitting with a tehillim in their hands, the words of David Melech pouring out. How many times you see that power of the Jewish people crying out? I don't know if this year is going to be Elio Atishbi. I don't know if the Rebbe who pointed out that this is the Birka Zacham that comes out in Erev Pesach is going to be particularly significant. I don't know the person who told me that it's a, uh, this year is a Shemitah leap year, and the year after that is always a year of significance. I can't tell you any of this stuff, but I can tell you what the Chazal say. Hakol Kol Yaakov, when we cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He will hear us. That's a given. Says the says the Emes, there's another reason that we use our Ravis. Because if you don't have any learning, you don't have any mitzvahs, all you can do is hope for the Yeshua. All you can do is hope that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is going to save us. And that's what we have to focus on tomorrow. We have a power to be able to say things that are special. We have a power to be able to hope be able to look forward that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is going to remember his people 
and bring us to the embassy Geula b'mher of Yemenu and Mitzah Hashem this year should really be Tiesh Nas Simen Tov should be a year of bracha for us and for Klai Yisrael. Amen. Thank you very much.